0: Before we get started with the show, I just want to take a moment to thank Trusted Health. They're a nurse travel agency that does things a little different. They're back once again to sponsor our podcast, and we really appreciate them. Guys, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse, fill out a profile, and you can start seeing jobs that are available all across the country right now. And not only will you be able to see the jobs, but also you can see what they pay. So go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and see what's out there waiting for you. That's trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse. Hey, everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And today I have a really uh, special treat for you guys. So a few weeks back, you might remember, I was on a summit for nurses, an online summit. That was the first time I'd ever really um, participated in anything like that online. I've been to some things in person before, but that was kind of different for me to um, submit something online. It was really cool. And the nurse who invited me to do that was kind enough to come on the show and co-host an episode with me. Her name is Karen. Karen Fur. Hey, Karen. Hey, So wonderful to have you. The name of the project, if you you might remember, but the name of her her organization is the Resilient Nurse Project, and it's basically a community for nurses that helps to fight burnout, helps to keep, I guess, with information and and that support, because that's an, an ongoing problem for new nurses and for all nurses, right? So... Really happy to have you here and really thankful for you and all the work that you're doing regarding nurse resiliency and that sort of thing. The summit was wonderful. It seemed like it was a huge success. Thank you. Yes, we had over
1: 350 people attend and got lots of great feedback. So we're definitely going to be doing it again um, because nurse burnout is something, like you said, that not just new nurses experience, but nurses who have been doing this for years. Um, And it's something that we're just starting to talk about, even though it's been happening for decades. So I'm really excited to provide resources for people to, first of all, recognize it and then to figure out how to address it and not just accept it as something that comes with, you know, as part of the job.
0: I really appreciate that because I, I've been doing some research projects through my work where I work and the nurse scientist, we have a nurse scientist at our hospital and she actually has told me that nurse resiliency is sort of a key buzzword in the community of research and it's pretty much what everyone is wanting to focus on right now because it is a huge problem. And it's kind of, it's so it's so funny to me because it's not like, like you said, this has been around probably since the beginning of nursing right. and yet <laughs> we're just now getting around to talking about it. But I'm glad we are finally. But we got a couple of uh, really interesting stories today. We have another doctor. It's kind of funny because the, do- the one I did last week was a doctor also. And so... I was looking through this story and I was like, I don't, really, I don't know where these doctors come from, but they're generally pieces of work. And it's even though they're both doctors and there are some parallels in the, the story, there are lots of details. I mean, you read these stories and you're just like, how, how can I be any more surprised than I have been all the other stories? And then yet they managed to somehow come up with things that are just really unbelievable. Yeah, it amazes
1: me sometimes the things that people just get away with because nobody's speaking up or nobody's noticed
0: yet. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of crazy. I know. Some people are just a lot better than others, I guess, with with, um getting out of things. You know, just kind of so sometimes money has a lot to do with it, unfortunately. Right, Right. It's amazing
1: to me too how people how much you can like run away from if you just move to a different state.
0: And
1: people
0: just like start a new life. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's weird. But It is. It's very strange. Um, And I think especially this story that we're going to be talking about is kind of back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, before the era of the internet and I guess cell phones and social media and things that kind of are connecting everyone in sort of a virtual way, Um, it probably was even easier, you know? I guess law enforcement agencies probably didn't communicate real well. (laughs) So, yeah. So this is kind of back in the day. Like I said, this is the story of Dr. Anthony Coppolino, and um, he was originally from New Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. He was born and raised there. His dad was a barber. His family was pretty much just middle class. It's you know they definitely were not the affluent. uh, I guess. People that, you know, you might think maybe some doctors might come from wealth uh, to be able to afford to go to medical school, especially back then. That was definitely not the case. He was very bright in school and he studied medicine at Fordham University and was very quiet, focused on his his studies. And then he met his wife, future wife, Carmela, and they immediately got very serious And she actually was studying medicine at Trinity College in Washington, D.C. So they hit it off, had a lot in common. And they actually obviously grew up in very different lifestyles because she came from a very wealthy family. Her father was a physician. And so he was able to support her financially through college. But Dr. Coppolino was struggling to get his tuition Paid every semester. You know, nowadays, I talk about this quite a bit on this podcast, a lot of doctors when they get out of medical school are hundreds of thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. in debt, because it's so expensive. And it's not like you can really work your way through medical school, you have pretty much have to just focus on that. And yeah, so (laughs) in his case, her father actually helped get him through medical school, or he probably would never have even been able to to graduate and finish. They got married in 1956. And he started working as an anesthesiologist in Red Bank, New Jersey. This is so interesting to me. So this is, this is something I don't remember ever talking about before on this podcast. And I'm just like, how has this never come up before? But hypnosis, what do you think about hypnosis? I'm, I'm just fascinated by it.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's curious to me how he did all this study to become an anesthesiologist and then jumped into this what some would consider like a woo-woo kind of like...
0: Exactly. You know, totally how did that opposite. connect?
1: You put people to sleep with medication and, mm-hmm. and... But then on the other side, like, yeah, it's very weird to me how he kind of looked at this from both or approached this from both sides of the of the coin. Yeah. But I, you know, I think we see as we go on that he kind of just looked for where the money was. And I yeah. wonder even if that's how... Really,
0: he chose his wife to begin with because he had I, the money. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I mean, he's just whatever he has to do to get ahead. He seemed like yeah. I don't. He definitely didn't seem like the kind of the kind of person who cared about anyone or anything, right? Out other than himself. So, right, it's just yeah, whatever he has to do. So, the it, you know, learning about hypnosis, he was probably just thinking, "Wow, what a way I could you know swindle some money out of exactly. a bunch of non-suspecting people." When I first read when I first saw hypnosis, I thought, wait, did he like go into psychiatry or something? But that wasn't even it. Anesthesiologist, like that didn't make any sense. Um, But apparently at the time, hypnosis was something that was kind of um, rising in popularity. So he pretty much just jumped on the bandwagon and was like, yeah, I'll I'll buy into this. So he decided to become an expert in that subject. (laughs) (laughs) And he would use hypnosis to calm patients before procedures and use it after procedures to help with post-op pain. I'm so curious to know whether that actually works or not for yeah, people.
1: Yeah, that is very I get, interesting. Uh,
0: whether it, I, could it be psychological, almost like a mind over matter kind of thing? Mm-hmm, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. I uh, The mind is very powerful. There's no doubt about that. And I've always Absolutely. been fascinated with the idea, you know, of hypnosis and whether or not it, it does it really work? Uh, if you guys are listening and you've had any experience with hip- hypnosis at all, like if you've known someone, if you've Done it yourself. Please email me. I want to hear all about it. <laughs> I really want to know what the deal is. He pretty much made himself a little side gig where he would so he would go into people's houses and hypnotize them for whatever whatever they needed. He could hypnotize them for it was like you know weight loss. Absolutely, I can hypnotize you know smoking. Absolutely, I can hypnotize, you know like whatever was their whatever their problem was. He could figure out a way to hypnotize them for it. Just amazing, you know whatever he could make some extra money for. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. You guys, I just want to take a minute to ask you to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and check out their website, see what they're all about. You can go there and fill out a profile and right away see what kind of opportunities there are out there. As far as travel nursing goes, you don't really have to commit to anything right now. You can just see what kind of jobs are out there. What do they pay? Where can you go? How long are the assignments? Trusted Health is different from other nurse travel agencies. They have nurse advocates rather than recruiters. You are an employee of Trusted Health. They support you throughout the whole process. You never feel like you're alone as you're traveling throughout the country going on these different adventures. So if you guys are even a little bit interested in doing some travel nursing, please go to TrustedHealth.com forward slash good nurse. It would really help us out because it kind of tells Trusted Health that they are spending their advertising dollars in a good place. So go to TrustedHealth.com forward slash good nurse, show them how much you love our podcast and create a profile today. His coworkers didn't really like him though. And they would say that he was always complaining about their incomes as anesthesiologists. And he, he would even start taking it out on one of the staff nurses. He said that he didn't think this nurse should be getting paid, or at least however much this nurse was getting paid, he, d- he didn't agree with it and felt like her pay could be going to other doctors. Like, Which is really
1: interesting because nurses don't get paid Relatively, a great deal, and especially back, you know, in the '60s, it's not like mm-hmm. that was something that really was being advocated for.
0: So, I, d- I don't know. I don't. What did he expect her to do work for free? There's no <laughs> way. When I was reading yeah. this, I thought, was was this a nurse? Because I honestly, I'm going to show my ignorance here, but I don't know when nurse and anesthetists became, came right. into being. So, could it be possible that this was? A specially trained nurse that was paid a little bit more than typical nursing, Maybe. because even then, come on, uh, you know it was still a fraction of whatever he was getting paid. But that's just how selfish he was. He was just so greedy, and he probably just saw her as insignificant and just taking away from him. So I wonder
1: if, too, if he, as we'll see later, he has an affinity for women, and I wonder if she had like turned him down or kind of not shown him the attention that he, you know, expected and so that's how he decided to take it
0: out on her. I don't think that that's at all an unreasonable suspicion because just knowing, yeah, all the stuff he did yeah. and his character, just it literally does sound like some something that someone who has done all the things he's done would certainly do, you know, just be right. vengeful. <laughs> and not you know, not understand at all how in the world someone could not uh, accept his advances. So, this particular nurse started receiving phone calls that were threatening and pretty much kind of saying you either quit your job or else. Um, And to her, she felt like, you know, at first she sort of ignored it. And then when she felt like it was really, this person was insinuating they really were going to hurt her, she decided to go to the police. And so she contacted the authorities and they said it was most likely, hmm, someone from the hospital. I mean, where would they get that idea? (laughs) And they were able to tell that, because she got letters as well as phone calls, and they could tell that the letters were actually typed on a typewriter that was from the hospital. This kind of cracks me up because it's like back in the day, the typewriters would always right. give people away before people figured out that you could, you know, the forensics and they, they could they could tell. Yeah. So the sign-in sheet, I guess, where you had to go in to use this typewriter Showed that he had been in there using that typewriter. A lot. <laughs> he didn't I'm even try like, to hide it. I don't know. He, he was I, so bold and arrogant. It's, just, it's like sometimes someone's just like, is it because they're just so arrogant? And they think they're so smart? Or, or are you really so smart or stupid kind of thing? Right, like, right. How? They also, so everyone kind of puts two and two together because he outwardly showed how much he did not like her and how angry he was towards her. At work, everyone knew it. it wasn't a secret. And then all of a sudden, she gets threatening letters, threatening phone calls, and then <laughs> the logs show that he's using <laughs> this typewriter. I mean, it's like, ugh, Grave, How can you get any more evidence? So he didn't really deny it. He he didn't offer to really deny it, and probably didn't even care very much. But the hospital did have him resign quietly. It kills me. Like the stories. That we do on this podcast over and over and over again, and granted, this probably, you know, maybe this wasn't the worst thing someone could do or whatever, but still, there's some really bad things that people can do that hospitals will literally just cover right up and let them go right on practicing medicine or go right on being a nurse or whatever it is their job is, and they just they won't tell anyone because they don't want to have to deal with the fallout, you know. So scary. Mm-hmm. We as a
1: healthcare community should be protecting not just our own patients and stuff, but the community as a whole, all people. And if we allow it to just carry on to somewhere
0: else, we carry that guilt. Well, or should. I know. <laughs> like what is more important? But yeah, I mean, do you not go to the hospital? Do you not have family that goes to the hospital? Right. Are you really okay with people just running around, loose, doing whatever they want to to people? And yeah. if you're doing this as a hospital administrator, don't you think other hospitals are too? And how can you trust anyone? It's right, just right. awful. So, but that's exactly what happened. Another story of someone just kind of like quietly uh, going away. And when his family and friends asked about him resigning, he said that he had to quit because of a heart condition. So in order to make this seem more legitimate, he went to, actually to the extent of filing for disability through his insurance. And he qualified for this because he took digitalis in order to throw himself into arrhythmias. Can you believe this?
1: This is where he really got me like, maybe you are just an idiot. Because it's one thing to hurt other people, but when you're putting the harm on yourself just to prove your point, like,
0: he's, he's crazy. <laughs> uh, how does he know? I mean, I know yeah, he knew how, de- how, you know, completely crazy this yeah. was. But I guess... So, you can guess, get a
1: disability. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He must <laughs> but have again, just felt the money like... money was... He always mm-hmm. was seeking, how can I get money? Where can I get it? What's the easiest route?
0: Yeah. So, he was getting his money through disability. His wife was a physician as well. And so, she actually was working and, and had an income. So, together... He act, that was enough money for him to actually be able to retire at the ripe old age of 30. Yeah. And there's something <laughs> else wrong with that. <laughs> there's So many Easy. things wrong with it. Yeah. So yeah, he decides to kick back and, and relax. And he's like, oh, I think I'll write a few books. Um, I can write a book on hypnosis, anesthesiology. And so has let the wife become the major breadwinner. I'm totally okay with that. I'll just be a, a struggling author and, and hang out at mm-hmm. home. So he and his wife uh, would kind of mingle with the couple across the street. This couple's name are the Farbers, okay? This is Marjorie Farber and her husband, Mr. Farber. (laughs) Marjorie was in her 40s and a little older than Dr. Coppolino, but apparently looked very nice for her age because the two of them hit it off very well. And while... (laughs) His wife is working as a physician. He's at home carrying on with Marjorie, who would take him to the library and coffee shops. And basically they would just be like, oh yeah, he's an author and I just want to help him and that sort of thing. I mean, good grief, crazy. (laughs) And and I guess his wife and her husband bought this. I I don't know. So he told her that he only had five years to live. And so apparently she felt sorry for him. And hired him to hypnotize her to stop smoking. So, okay, yeah. they would have hypnosis appointments. So I guess she would, mm-hmm. would you know, mm-hmm. that's what. They and call apparently, them anyway. yeah, that's what they called them. Yeah. And they had like three times a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever. Every, every chance they had, they were having their little hypnosis appointments. And we'll just put <laughs> in those court, in quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Carmela, his wife, and Marjorie's husband, Mr. Farber, they did have their suspicions, but they were, I guess, the type of people who were sort of not real bold, and they just sort of didn't say anything. And eventually, according to Marjorie, Dr. Copolino would say things to her like, get rid of him, like for her to get rid of her husband. I mean, you know, just on a I don't know, coming right out and saying it, dropping hints, that sort of thing. Hmm. So then on July 30th, 1963, the Coppolinos received a call from Marjorie. And she said that her husband, Mr. Farber, was dead. So Dr. Coppolino decides not to go over there, but he sends his wife, Carmela. And she ends up actually signing the death certificate and put on the death certificate that the cause of death was coronary thrombosis, which... Is something that can be verified. So, right. I wonder what made so, her. Yeah. How do you even tell that? Did her husband like, give her a history and
1: she distrusted him, or was she threatened, well, or was she scared because she didn't want to, mm-hmm. you know, anyway. Yeah. You wonder I why her. she just went along with that.
0: Mm-hmm, it does. Apparently, like right after this, the following weekend, Dr. Coppolino and Marjorie decided to go to Atlantic City alone. Now, how in the... I, if that's not a big red this, flag. <laughs> yeah, but they it's like nobody thought anything of it. Nobody, right. Ugh. So Marjorie and Coppolino apparently kind of get on the outs a little bit. So Dr. Coppolino, I guess, was less interested in her, decided she was not as attractive as he once thought she was and wasn't seeing her as often. So Dr. Coppolino and his family moved to Florida and he was really excited to kind of make a fresh start. And then somehow Marjorie ends up moving to Florida also and buying a house in the same neighborhood. I mean, that's kind of stalkerish to me. I mean, that sounds kind of weird. Like he's literally moving to Florida with his whole family to get away from her. And then bam, somehow she shows up (laughs) in the neighborhood. So, Kind of giving him a taste of his own medicine, though, in a way. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, it kind of serves you right. Right. You kind of, yeah, creating a, so almost a fatal attraction kind of thing. Right. Like, you kind of created a monster here. She got real bitter when she realized that Dr. Coppolino is now having an, another affair <sighs> with a different woman. Her name was Mary. And so then she decides, well, I'll just tell Carmela that Dr. Coppolino was cheating on her. So Dr. Coppolino wanted to divorce Carmella, but she was a devout Catholic and would not give him a divorce. And that's, you know, this is in the 60s, right? Right. It's, I guess you had to have a, re, you know, reason or I don't know. It seems strange to us. I mean, it does to me that if one person yeah. wants to divorce, you know, that you, you you would not be able to, but I guess that's how it was. And maybe it varied state to state too. I don't I know. I wonder too if that was her only way of have a power
1: over him though, like to give, not give in to him, mm-hmm. make it hard for him. Who
0: knows? Yeah. So Mary, incidentally, just happened to be very wealthy. Of course, there's but, the money again. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is the new mistress. And of course, Dr. Coppolino finds this very attractive in a woman. But because his wife didn't pass the medical boards, they were actually struggling financially. This is, I when I'm, th- I'm thinking, okay, they moved to florida with without her I, would you just up and leave like you don't have a job and you don't know right i mean that's crazy assumed that she, i guess that she would be able to i know yeah. that's kind of i mean it's kind of sad because she didn't do anything wrong I, you know like right. it's maybe it's just been a few years and i'm sure it's not easy to pass yeah, I'm not going sure to have pass and, the NCLEX again without some right. serious. <laughs> yeah, because you're pra- practicing is what is so different than yeah. book world. We we know that you guys know right. that that are nursing students. That's you know what how frustrating it. It is. I
1: mean, I've done PE mm-hmm. for 14 years. If I had to take the NCLEX and talk about adult questions, I yeah, I would have to do a lot of studying first.
0: <laughs> Yes. And I guess that's probably it too. She was working, I want to say she was like working for a research center. So right. maybe she wasn't even actively working in medicine. So it probably was really hard for her to pass. Yeah. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. So you guys, I've been kind of curious about these meal kit delivery services and I've been wanting to try one, but I just haven't taken the time to go and research them. So Green Chef actually reached out to me and said, hey, would you like for us to send you some of our meals? And if you like them, maybe you could do an ad spot for us. And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. So Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. But they also have really good food. And the reason I know that is because all three of the meals they sent us, were absolutely delicious. I made one, Mark made one, and then our son Levi, the 16-year-old, made one. Their meal plans include paleo, plant-powered, keto, and balanced living. We got the balanced living plan. It's perfect for those busy nights when you don't have time to shop. With Green Chef, everything is hand-picked and delivered right to your door. The recipes contain a variety of organic ingredients that come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and mostly prepped. They come with these really cool recipe cards that are super easy to follow with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and pictures. So if you guys have thought about doing one of these services, I would encourage you to use Green Chef. And, of course, they're giving us a deal. So if you use Good Nurse 80, you get $80 off your first month, plus free shipping on your first box. That's greenchef.com forward slash goodnurse80 to get $80 off your first month and free shipping on your first box. So they're having financial difficulties and he's looking at this new woman, Mary, and thinking, okay, she's really wealthy. This is an opportunity for me. So on August 28th, 1965, he called his family doctor, who is Dr. Caro, and he was really upset. And told him that Carmelo was dead. So according to him,
1: she'd been having when did nine one one start?
0: When was that created? He doesn't call ever call the police when people die. They just call a friend. Uh yeah. This this is pretty common with these spouse <laughs> stories, you know, like it's what? like we always call a friend and it's always like someone kind of in power that you right. can maybe like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that would offer some help. Yeah. Well, he, he tried to explain what happened. You know, he's like, oh, she was having chest pain the night before. And I guess he was hoping Dr. Carroll would be on his side and maybe lend some validity, you know, legitimacy to his story. But he was very suspicious because Carmela was young and that he knew of didn't have any health problems. So four weeks later, he actually marries his, <laughs> Mary, the, the woman that he had been having an affair with, And Marjorie is still looming in the background around the corner, peeking around, stalking him, apparently. So she finds out and was absolutely hysterical and just so ticked off. So she felt like she had really been played by him and decided she would go to the family doctor, (laughs) their family doctor. This woman gets around. Um, So she goes to Dr. Caro to vent about this and told him that Dr. Coppolino had her under hypnosis for years, and was trying to get her to kill her husband by injecting him with medication. And she said even one time, she did actually inject him a little bit with some medication, and then she couldn't follow through. And then ended up standing by as Dr. Coppolino actually did kill her wow. husband. So she tells this big whole story to Dr. Carlo, or Dr. excuse me, Dr. Caro. And of course, he's like, you are going to have to report this. And so she did. And then both cases are opened up for investigation the death of Doc, of Mr. Farber and the death of his wife Dr Her, she was obviously Dr. Capolino too um and so they both went to trial i mean there i guess if enough time had passed maybe there wasn't a lot of um evidence on that you know on that first case mm-hmm. so the jury found him not guilty on the murder of Mr. Farber apparently though His attorney did a really nice job of painting Marjorie as jealous, crazy. Marjorie did not help herself in that, though. She kind of did a pretty good job of that herself. She kind of was
1: jealous and crazy, actually. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that she wanted revenge. And so I I can imagine with a really good attorney and with all the stuff she was doing, I could imagine the jury going, well, what if she was? Right. I mean, if she's that crazy, she's literally moving to Florida, and he didn't even want her to and moved in the same neighborhood, I think she probably would make up something like that. Yeah. yeah, they found him not guilty, but they did exhume Mr. Farber's body and found succinylcholine in his system because apparently there was a new um, test to de- to detect the drug at the time. But because it was so new, the jury, I guess, was kind of skeptical. But she
1: said she gave him a little, so... Well, true. They, I guess her attorney presented enough reasonable doubt that they couldn't be sure who delivered the lethal dose.
0: That's true. So I it's wonder just if that, she was convicted also. I don't think I don't think she was. But my thing is like if they found sexinal choline in her husband's body, she was not medical, you know? Right. So, so where'd she, she get it? She would right. have had to put it from him. Yeah. hmm At the very least. Mm-hmm. But they did the jury, a different jury, second trial, did find Dr. Coppolino guilty for the murder of his wife. Thank goodness Carmela. Good because he did inject her with a large amount of succinylcholine. And basically what happened is the reason that they were able to convict him, uh, her heart didn't show signs of coronary artery disease. And so they're just like, okay, she has no heart problems, even though that's listed on the death certificate as the cause of death. Her body did have an injection site and her liver and brain showed traces of the drug and then weeks before she died her husband of course which happens all the time i mean i i feel like i'm just repeating like a broken record <laughs> week after week of these people changing their life insurance policy going from $10,000 to $65,000 and this is back <laughs> in the 60s that's a lot of money right so he increases the his life insurance policy and then his wife dies. That's and like not only murder that,
1: 101. Don't change life yeah. insurance recently before.
0: <laughs> yeah. He literally wrote the book on this. So the yeah. fact that he not only did that, he then ends up marrying his new, you know, his new, new um, mistress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a few weeks after that just kind of made the jury go, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, this does not look good. He didn't take the stand and the jury never likes that. Juries do right. not like it. They want to hear from the person. And they just feel like if you're not willing to get on the stand and say what happened and plead your innocence and try to convince them that you're innocent, that you must be guilty, which you're not mm-hmm. supposed to do. But right. <laughs> juries are human beings, you're, you know, yeah. they're, it's going to be, it's one thing to say that you're going to be impartial. It's a whole nother thing to sit there and actually do that in right. a trial. So he was sentenced to life in prison. But guess what? Our good Dr Coppolino mm-hmm. got out on parole 12 and a half years later <laughs> amazing yep he died in 2017 at the ripe old age of 84 mm. I wonder what other damage
1: he did before in the meantime though that we I don't know,
0: know that. Well, because he, he had to survive somehow all those years and right. I get he didn't have I guess he didn't have a lot of money he didn't have a job. What did he do? No telling. No telling. So that's our story. That's our big um, bad doctor story for this week. Another doozy for us. Yes. The nice thing is we have a really nice, good doctor story for this week. I'm really excited because last week I talked about the first African-American doctor in the United States and did this whole story about him. And it, it was just an amazing story. So this week I went on and was just like, so who was the first female African American? You know, who who was in America anyway? Um, and I found the coolest story about Rebecca Lee Crumpler, who was the, the first African-American woman physician. And what a story. I love this woman so much. She was so brave as so many are, you know, in her time doing anything like this. It was just an amazing, amazing story. So in 1864, Rebecca became the New England female medical college's only African-American graduate. So um, apparently, just to kind of put that into perspective of how significant, it's not like we all, you know, I mean, everyone knows how significant that is. But think about this. In 1860, there were only 300 women, 300 women out of 54,543 doctors in the United States. There were 300. None of them were African-American, okay? Wow. That was in 1860. So in 1864, for her to become the first graduate female African-American was just a huge accomplishment. After the end of the uh, Civil War in 1865, she and her husband moved to Richmond, Virginia, where and these are her words she said that this area was the proper field for real missionary work and that one would present ample opportunities to become acquainted with the diseases of women and children and so that's what she wanted to focus on and um, she dealt with all kinds of things there of course as as you can imagine daily you know racism sexism of course um, and and as a, a young, you know, black woman, she's got she's take she's getting this from all angles. Mm-hmm. She just she can't win anywhere she goes. But she endured that because she said that there was a very large number of indigent and uh people of other classes in this population in this area, over thirty thousand people who in her words, colored people. So that was her mission and that was her goal and that's all she focused on and she just dealt with whatever she had to deal with in order to accomplish what she wanted to accomplish. I love that
1: because I think it, I'm sure, allowed her to build trust and rapport with them that she understood some of the struggles that they dealt with because she identified, you know, with a lot of those prejudices. So for them to be able to trust her and get access to care, first of all, that they wouldn't have otherwise even had access to, but then to be able to truly trust the person who's treating them and be able to share what they're struggling with, and you know, I think it's such a bridge that she built for that community.
0: Yes, I agree. That's very well said. I, I I think that was just wonderful that she was able to to do that at that time. In 1880, she and her husband moved to Hyde Park, New York, and there she actually wrote a book. And the name of the book was A Book of Medical Discourses in Two Parts. The first part was focusing on treating the cause, prevention, and cure of infantile bowel complaints. And a, apparently, really excellent book that she wrote, and one that was used for a long time in medical circles. And the second one was Miscellaneous Information Concerning the Life and Growth of Beings, The Beginning of Womanhood. So, that uh, that was her goal from the beginning, was to help women and children. And that's she ended up treating those people... And then moving somewhere, you know, moving to New York and then writing a book about, about you know, all of the knowledge and everything that she had learned. So the v- volume, which apparently may have been the first medical text by an African-American author, she dedicated to mothers, nurses, and all who may desire to mitigate the afflictions of the human race. That's kind of nice. That. I know. Yeah. So she died on March 9th, 1895. And I found another article which was just heartbreaking. I just, you know, I could not. Did you happen to to see this article? Yes. It just kind of blows my mind that in this day and age, like in 2020,
1: these mm-hmm. things are still this is still even exists, but like, these situations why? Yeah, that's
0: crazy. Yeah, and so when I was kind of just looking at different articles about her and just trying to find, you know, different information about her, apparently she, well, as of this when this article was written, which was what February, February of this year. Of this year. Mm-hmm. Apparently she as of February this year was living, still um in an unmarked grave where she was buried. Yeah. So This is someone who not only was she a physician, but she was the first African-American female physician in the United States of America. How does she not have a statue, let alone no (laughs) grave marker, nothing? Not even a tombstone. Yeah, nothing. So they were trying to raise money and I I could not find whether or not, because, you know, February of this year, a lot of stuff started happening right (laughs) after that. And (laughs) so I... I don't know. I wonder if maybe it was whoever was went, maybe it kind of got derailed for a little while. I really hope that they're yeah. able to pick, pick this back up and and do something with it. I'm going to kind of keep this story in my back pocket for a while and maybe ch- try to check in on it some more and do a little more research about it just because there is so much going on in the world right now with COVID and, and everything. And there's just mm-hmm. people have a lot of things on their mind. It's hard to, and not just COVID, there's a this whole movement black lives matter and all sorts of things it's hard where a lot of people would think this was definitely a worthy cause and something they could get really you know upset about and want to do something about it there's so many things that it may be difficult you know to get enough people together yeah. So I don't know. We'll we'll look into it some more. And if you guys are listening and you happen to know what happened, maybe you live in the area where this, this happened or you know something about it, just let me know. Send me an email. I would love to kind of get an update on that. Yeah, because it wasn't like an
1: astounding amount of money they needed. I think it was $5,000, which in the grand scheme was not, you know, absolutely insane. Yeah,
0: so, it's not. I, you would think that maybe there would be some kind of foundation or I don't know. Okay, so I just
1: found this update, July 25th of 2020. They did get the markers put up. Oh, good. Yes. So it's just photographs. It says photographs. Dedication of gravestones, credit to Hyde Park photographer. But they do both, she and her husband both have markers. And her marker, her tombstone does say, the first Black woman to earn a medical degree in the US, 1864. Okay. And on the back of the community and the Commonwealth's four medical schools honored Dr. Rebecca Crumpler for her ceaseless courage, pioneering achievements, and historic legacy as a physician, author, nurse, missionary, and advocate for health equity and social justice. So. She finally awesome.
0: got the recognition. Yeah, it, it's it's for some reason, there's been several things that's kind of happened with her. I don't know if she was just kind of an unassuming type of person, maybe not someone to just step up and ask for recognition. It sounds like she probably wasn't, but when she was alive even, there, there were, a, I guess, a lot of people that gave the title of the first African-American female physician to another woman who graduated after her. So it just seems like she never really got, you know, has gotten the recognition that she really deserves. So, yeah. Okay. Now I'm seeing this. And yeah, that was in Boston. So this is from the Boston Globe.
1: Yeah. The one I found is from the Friends of Hyde Park Branch Library.
0: Okay. So this actually is a tombstone, like an actual gravestone. Uh Yeah. Rebecca Crumpler, 1831-181. Yes. Okay, that's very nice. The first black woman to earn a medical degree in the US, eighteen sixty-four. That's nice. I'm so glad to see that that finally happened. I know it seems like a small thing, and yet there's so many, so many statues and memorials and things in our country. We're big into these things, mm-hmm. you know, and honoring all sorts of people from our past who, I mean, let's face it, a lot of them maybe don't deserve to be honored and have their names going on forever because maybe they didn't do, you know, live that great of a life. Maybe they did a lot of things that they shouldn't have been doing. And so for someone like her, I think she at least deserves um, a gravestone and deserves to have that legacy and people to know who she was. Yeah. Well, Karen, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and Absolutely. recording an episode with me. I really appreciate it. Me. Yes, you're welcome. Just remind everybody where they can find you. So we're on Facebook. Uh, you can just look up the Resilient
1: Nurse Project and then all of our resources and events are always announced there. We did just finish the Resilient Nurse Summit, which was an awesome free event with um, 18, actually we ended up with 19 speakers that had free resources for nurses. And we'll be doing another one probably in the spring. But yeah, Facebook is the best place to find us. And then you can email the resilient nurse at gmail.com. If you're looking for information or have something specific that you're looking for, so a lot of resources for different specific challenges that people are facing and that are contributing to burnout. So you can always email me there and I'm happy to set
0: you up with resources. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And of course, you, know, you guys know you can, yeah, you guys can find us at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on Instagram or GNBN podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And you can email me at tina at com, and our website of course is goodnursebadnurse.com and you can go there and find all sorts of, you can listen to the episodes there for one thing, but also there's all kinds of resources there. And and, um, we have our Patreon account. We have some extra bonus material and we're putting more stuff on there. Now um, we're finally getting around to getting a lot of stuff put on there. And it's kind of funny because we're we're putting things on in that, we're calling it the break room and we're putting things in there that, you know how you kind of say things in the break room that you don't necessarily say out (laughs) in the hall and at the nurse's station. So, things that we kind of, um, that might get edited out uh, while we're recording because it's like, oh, we, you know, we kind of get on a rant about things that work <laughs> and then you decide, I probably don't want to leave that in there. But sometimes I I like the conversation, so I cut it out and just save it. So, I'm just going to put those in that, in that area. And so... It's like three dollars a month to be a member of our patron account. If you want to uh, just be nosy and see what <laughs> the kind of crazy things that we know, say, I'm intrigued
1: already. I want to go <laughs> check it
0: out. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You never know what in the world's going to be said. So sometimes I'm listening to that. And I'm going, "That's crazy." I don't even remember talk. I don't even remember saying that stuff. But <laughs> and I also want to remind you guys though that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, please be a good nurse.